All right, let's open up the Bible to Hebrews. And if you, if you look on the front of the bulletin, Deuteronomy 29.29, and that was homework assignment. So someone remembered that and put it, because we never got into Deuteronomy 29 last week, but it made it on the bulletin. Very good. I hope everybody read it. If not, it's still there. We're at verse 18 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. And this is right after that story of Esau, how he had sold his birthright. The Bible calls him a fornicator. Now, you would think, why would it throw that word in there? It says he was a profane person, but fornicator would be where we get the word porn from, or we get that word from the Greek word that's, that this word is translated from. But the reason that fornicator, and he's called a fornicator, this Esau, is because anything, just think about a marriage between a man and a woman, and if either one's unfaithful and goes after fornication, you're, you're uh, not keeping that person true to you, and you're cheating, okay? Well, when you have a relationship with your heavenly Father, and anything draws you from Him, and you put more emphasis and more time into something else other than Him, then you're a fornicator. You are going after the idol more than you're going after the Father in heaven. So we need to really think about how serious it is not to be true to your God. It's a horrible thing to go after anything else that's worldly, even if it's a pot of soup, a bowl of beans. If you put that ahead of God, that is a horrible thing. And Esau showed us that. So now, even though he... uh, was so upset with himself for allowing himself to be tricked out of the birthright and the blessing from his father, and he he sought it out carefully with tears, it was too late for him. Now in 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. That was tough. It was very tough to hear. It was very frightening to hear. Now, what this is talking about is, is Mount Sinai, where the law came down, where, where God was on the mountain. He came down in... in to the mountain in a cloud to where he, he would stay invisible. People couldn't see him. You know, we worship an invisible God. We, ha- we cannot see him. If he actually appeared, we drop dead. Every other religion in the world is based on what you can see. Christianity, true Christianity, is the only religion in the world that is based on faith in a God that we cannot see with our eyes. And we must trust Him. It's the only one. 
We see a picture of it right here. <clears throat> 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye, here's the difference, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That's the difference. You, you see the two things that are talked about right there. You have Mount Sinai, and then you have Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is that mountain of the law, and that law was given to the nation of Israel, and they were to live by that law to be pleasing to God, and they did nothing but fail over and over and over again. And if any of us try to please God by keeping the law, it's going to be failure over and over and over again. But we need to leave Mount Zion, I mean Mount Sinai, and go to Mount Zion. That's where we need to be. We're, we're under the New Testament the new covenant, now the new covenant technically, <clears throat> technically is only for the nation of Israel. Technically. The New Testament is for us, for everybody. Now, and, and, I, and we've read through, we've read all of the words of Hebrews up, into, up to this point right here. If you've been here, you've heard every word. If you've been studying it on your own, you've read every word, and we have, we've read it from Hebrews 1, 1, all the way up to 12, uh, 24, and hopefully by next week we'll be done with Hebrews, hopefully. Not promising anything. But we've read every word of it. I want you to see something that I had not seen before up until a few weeks ago, and uh, my son pointed it out to me. And it says in 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And he said, do you realize that there's covenant in Hebrews, but there are, there's also testament in Hebrews? What's the difference? We got a new testament, and we have this thing called a new covenant. What's the difference? I've always was taught in the past that they're exactly the same thing. Well, they're very, very similar, but they are different. And you can tell because they're spelled differently. Now, the word testament is in the book of Hebrews seven times. Seven. You know how I love the number seven and how it means something. Very significant. So, the word Testament is in the book of Hebrews seven times. The word testament is in the 
whole Bible 14 times. <laughs> You're thinking, how many hundreds of times? 14. Only in the New Testament. The, the word testament is not in the Old Testament, that, that word. But it's 2 times 7. You still got that 7 going there. Multiple. 7 twice. Covenant. Covenant is way more an Old Testament word than it is a New Testament word. I counted. I didn't have my uh, concordance that I, the one at home, it counts it for me. It's got the how many times it's in there, and then the Bible program that my son helped me get on my computer, I can type it in and find it real quick. Well, <clears throat> I had the, uh, my old uh, um, concordance that I have here, I went and grabbed it because I was just curious how many times I had to count all of them. And that was this morning early, I was counting them. I, now, I may have miscounted, but I came up with uh, 292 times that covenant is throughout the Bible. So, out of 292, if I counted correctly, all of it's in the Old Testament except for 20 times that are in the New. In the book of Hebrews, covenant is, and I'm not repeating myself when I say 14, Covenant is in, the, is in the book of Hebrews 14 times in 12 verses. So, remember, testament, the word testament is in Hebrews 7 times. The word covenant is in the book of Hebrews 14 times in 12 verses. Now, 12 is a very significant number for the Hebrew people. There were 12 tribes, there were 12 disciples it is a very important number for the nation of Israel. It completes like a governmental completeness. And so covenant being an Old Testament thing, it would make sense that it would be in 12 verses, but it's 14 times because there's two verses where they're in their, it, covenant, the word covenant's in there twice, so you get 14. So you get the significance of the number 14 and the significance of the number 12. The Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. The King James Bible is the perfect Word of God in the English language. I'm telling you, it is. Have you heard about the new Bible that just came out? A brand new translation has just, just came out. I think it's called Legacy something. Legacy... What is it? Okay, so, so, and according to Ken Ham, it's the most accurate Bible ever. I know some of y'all like Ken Ham. He's done some amazing things. But I'm telling you, he's dangerous. I'm just telling you that right now. Watch out for these very popular people. There's, there's so many popular people out there that are dangerous. Watch out. Now, they have a good heart, they are doing the best they can, and a lot of what they do is great, wonderful. I want to go to the ark. I want to go to the other thing he has up there. I would love to go there and visit those. But they cause doubt in the Word of God over and over and over again. And I don't know if they're, 
they even understand what they're doing. By, but by saying that we now finally have the most accurate Bible is saying that we didn't have it 400 years ago when the King James Bible was put out. That is a very dangerous thing. The Word of God is absolutely critical. And if we haven't had a pure Bible for the last 400 and some years, that's not good. Not good. And that's exactly what the world wants you to think, that you have had a Bible that wasn't quite right, and it needs to be changed here, here, and here. Don't fall for it. Do not fall for it. So, what is the significance between a covenant and a testament? And what is, this, what is all of this talking about? You have, you have law and you have grace. And we have a... So, in the, in, in the, in the new versions of the Bible, like the New American Standard, the ESV... What you're going to find is, in Hebrews, where there's seven times it's testament, 14 times it's covenant. Well, in the English Standard Version, all of it's covenant. There's no seven times of testament, because every time you see the word testament, they change it to covenant. Have you ever heard of replacement theology? You heard of that? how the church replaced Israel, and all the blessings that were for Israel, now the church gets. And Israel's been done away with. God will never have anything to do with them anymore. That's replacement theology. Well, that goes really well with that kind of theology when you take testament out and put covenant in. See how they do it? See how they justify false doctrine? And I didn't even notice it. It took him to show it to me. What does he know? He's only 21. What does he know? <clears throat> well, he loves the Word of God. He's read it more than probably anybody in here at such a young age. Because he reads it every single day. Every day. He's going through it over and over and over again. Way ahead of where I was at that age. Way ahead. So, let's go to Exodus, and let's read about this Mount Sinai and how scary it was and help us get some understanding and maybe get some understanding of um, that really dirty word, dispensation. That's a, that's a scary word to some people, dispensation. And then that word covenant. Well, God made covenants with his chosen people. With, in his mind, he was looking forward to a New Testament that would be available for everyone. That mystery that was hidden from the ages. But all through the Old Testament, even though it was pointing to the hidden church, which we are today, we're part of it, we have to be able to rightly divide the Word of God, the Word of Truth. We have to rightly divide it. So we have to understand that covenant was with Israel. Now, we don't replace Israel, but we're grafted in. 
So those covenant promises, a lot of the covenants that we, could, we possibly could talk about today, if I get there, uh, we can be joined in with to a certain point, but we got to understand that it's still for Israel. And that when you get to, uh, it's Jeremiah 31, 31, right? I didn't mark this, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read, read, read this verse to you. And then we'll go to Exodus. All right. Listen very carefully. This is Jeremiah the prophet to Israel. Jeremiah said in 31:31, "Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah." That new covenant is for them. They're waiting, they're still waiting on their Messiah, and he already showed up over 2,000 years ago. They're still waiting on him. And this new covenant that is set up for them, says, here's the proof right here in Jeremiah 31, 31, that is for them. We are living in this dispensation of grace right now, and we as the church is looking forward to the kingdom being set up. We're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to that day when Jesus comes back and takes the true church out. All the dead in Christ will come up out, busting up out of the grave, and all of us that might still be alive at that time, we will, we will all go up together and meet Jesus in the air. We'll be taken out of here. And then that dispensation of law will, will have the last seven years that are missing. It will come, be able to be set up in the, what we call the tribulation period. And then that time period that was happening right up until Jesus was led into the city. He, he, he rode in on a donkey and he was their king. And if they would have accepted him, that kingdom of heaven could have been established on earth. But it wasn't going to be. It was all part of God's plan that he would be rejected that the kingdom of heaven would be taken by force. They would take the king and they would nail him to a cross. And now there's worldly people running the kingdom of heaven right now. That's why Matthew 13 is so confusing to everybody. People start reading Matthew 13 and they get very concerned or they see... Uh, the parable of the leaven, and they try to figure it out it, 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 because you don't understand the difference between the two. You don't understand the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Because they took Jesus and killed him and didn't let him go to the throne. See, in, in uh, 2 Samuel, probably, I think it's verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 16, that Nathan was talking to David and said that his throne would be set up forever. David's been in the tomb for how many years now? But it's true. That was to Jesus Christ himself. And it's going to happen. And that's, that throne, the throne of David, will be set up forever when Jesus comes back 
to sit on that throne, whether it be David or Jesus himself, the truth is there that Jesus will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years, the millennium we call it, but that is, that is, that is a, a covenant for David from way back then. And still, the nation of Israel is still waiting for it to happen because they killed the king. Now, it wasn't just the Jews that killed the king. It was Jews and Gentiles who conspired together to get him on the cross. And then all of us who are born-again believers know it's us. Each and every one of us put him on the cross for, because of our sin. So, rightly dividing, you will get very confused on the Sermon on the Mount. You will read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and notice it's only in Matthew. That's the, the gospel written to the, the nation of Israel. We need to know it as Gentiles and as, as being part of the church. We need to know it. But if you try to follow the Sermon on the Mount, you will never, ever be satisfied with your Christian walk. You can't measure up. And that's exactly what it was designed to do, to show you you can't measure up to the law of God and to give up trying to keep it and look to Jesus. And all of what we've read in Hebrews up to this point is showing us how we are to look to Jesus. That blood that was shed speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. We need to understand it. Now, um, over in uh, Exodus. Exodus 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim. Rephidim, what is that? That's that uh, little place that they went to. It was, a, it was an encampment. And that was the place where they complained about not having water and they needed some, they're going to die of thirst. It was also that place where uh, I believe it was the Amalekites came and, and fought that famous battle where, where uh, Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the mountain and Moses held up his arm and they prevailed. But when his arm got tired and he dropped his arm, they were being defeated and Aaron got on the one side. And her on the other, and they lifted up his arms all the way till, till the sun went down. And Joshua was down there getting big victory over that. That's, that's where Rephidim is. Uh, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. And ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and I'm not going to sing the eagle song, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be, be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people." For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. There, are, 
These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Well, how well did they do, did they do that? They did not do very well at all. They did a horrible job. Seven, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. No, you won't. There's too many people, even today, that try to please God by keeping the law. You can't do it. You just can't do it. Try all you want. And it's fine to try. You'll be a better person. You, you will... It, and, and on a human level, yes, we love the word, the word of God as far as the law, and we actually, as a country, we set up our, all of our systems are based on the law of God. Because the law is for the unrighteous. And there's a lot of unrighteous people around that will go out and murder, steal, do horrible things to other people. And if you don't have law in place, you cannot convict anybody of a wrongdoing unless there's a law in the books. So every now and then, our politicians will create a new law, vote on it, and get it put in the books so that they can actually convict somebody of something. If it's not in the books, you cannot convict. So God would not be able to send anybody to hell unless he has a law written in the book, and he can show us you didn't follow it, you're going to hell. And it's justified because it's in the book. So the law has its purpose. The law shows us that we are sinners and we have no hope whatsoever in ever being able to be good enough to be accepted by our Heavenly Father. Can't happen. So we are to look to Jesus. That's the only way we're getting to heaven. The only way we will spend eternity with the Father is to look to Jesus. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And verse 9, this is, uh, so we're still in uh, Exodus 19, verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. See, what the, this is what Moses ended up writing in, in the first five books of the Bible, and we are to believe all of this as Bible forever. I hope you do. And God is telling Moses, what I'm speaking to you, these people need to believe it forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. There it is again, three days. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now they won't be able to see him, but they're going to be able to notice that he's there for sure. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Keep, keep in your brain 
what this mountain signifies. It's the law of God. If you try to get up on that mountain, it's sure death. You'll die in your good efforts. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, and let not the priest and the people break through to come up to, unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down and the people, uh, unto the people and spake unto them. Now, uh, all right, we're, we're running out of time, so I'm going to, uh, now in, in 20, we're going to see the Ten Commandments there. And I was kind of wanting to read through that, but I think we've done enough. We've got a, a lot, there was a lot of stuff to throw at you, but make sure that you understand the difference between the dispensations and covenants. They overlap a lot. And just to give you an example, the uh, dispensation of innocence and the covenant in Eden. You see how there's, a, there's, the, there's the covenant that God made in Eden for Adam and Eve, and they were perfectly innocent. So he, God dealt with people, he dealt with Adam and Eve differently than he's dealt with anybody else in that little time period that they had in paradise. They were innocent. They didn't know the difference between good and evil. That dispensation ended in judgment, and they were told to leave. They were escorted out. And uh, every one ends in judgment. Every one of the dispensations, they end in some type of judgment, 
So uh, next week, we'll, we'll, we're going to go back and forth between the two. The dispensations. There are seven dispensations. Seven of them. Interesting. Well, there's eight covenants. The eighth covenant is the new covenant, and eight is a number of new beginnings. It's going to be a new beginning for the nation of Israel, for God's chosen people. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you for all these people who are here today that love you and want to be a part of the body of Christ. And Father, we would not be much of a body if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, who is the head of our church. Father, where he goes, we will follow. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.